This podcast is sponsored by Element. Element is an electrolyte drink mix perfectly formulated for anyone on a low-carb, keto, or carnivore diet. Each packet contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Element can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleepiness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. When I'm fasting and not getting proper electrolytes, I start getting headaches and wake up with crazy foot cramps. The Element packets can replenish that through these convenient packets that I can take with me anywhere. I like the unflavored packets, which are literally just magnesium, sodium, and potassium. They also come in a variety of flavors like raspberry, orange, chocolate, or habanero lemon. They're sweetened with stevia and contain no artificial ingredients, gluten, or fillers. Right now, Element is offering all of our listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors. You can get yours at drinkelement.com slash C-A-T-G. This deal is only available through this link, so you can check out the description and go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash C-A-T-G. Thank you for supporting companies that support this podcast. Let's get back to the episode. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder, the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. (laughs) Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, I just wanted to come on here. It's Judy Cho, and I wanted to put a disclaimer on this podcast episode. We talk about eating disorders and a lot of what my eating disorder history, what it looked like, and how I struggled. I think for people that are currently struggling, it can be a triggering episode. While this conversation can be very helpful and it's very much real talk, it can also be a bit raw for some people trying to heal. We ultimately are trying to serve the community, and we know that some content is not right for some people. So just wanted to throw this disclaimer out there before we get started. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Judy Cho. And I think we're going to push through. We pushed off one week because I had no voice, and I think it's hopefully tolerable for you all this week. It's still not quite 100% but I think it's not quite gone enough that it's going to be too annoying for you. So we're going to go ahead and record today. Um, Judy and I have been discussing the topic of is carnivore and eating disorder a lot just together offline. And I know it's, um, it's a criticism that comes up often with carnivore. You know, I've mentioned before, but like even when Chris and I started carnivore four years ago, my mom called me like very upset, like said, this is an eating disorder. You guys are being too extreme. You know, we, I think a lot of people have heard that before in their families from people in their real life. Also, we know this is a very specific criticism that we get from other diet world people, you know, like just people on the internet are always talking about how these carnivore people are so extreme. This is an eating disorder. Um, and so we wanted to really address that today. We want to get into like, what's an eating disorder specifically is carnivore that, um, and then what are kind of the signs and, and 
around eating disorders in general and some triggers or traps that you might personally fall into. So um, I know we both have some experience on this from different sides, kind of from different worlds, but Judy has talked and shared a lot about her personal history and experience with eating disorders. So talk to us a little bit kind of about the clinical side of things or like what the actual definition of an eating disorder is. Yeah. So in the psychology handbook, it's, I think the latest one is a DSM five. I know that they're working on a newer one, but in that book, they talk about all the different eating disorders and what criteria you need to fit into in order to, I guess, be labeled as someone that's anorexic or bulimic or someone that's struggling with binge eating disorder. And I think most of America thinks that um, in order to be clinically diagnosed at that level, it has to be really serious. And so therefore, most people don't have eating disorders. And I, I kind of disagree with that. I remember when I went to my therapist, and they asked me, how many times do you purge in a day? And when they mean purge, they mean either you vomit, you use laxatives, you overexercise. there's a lot of different ways that you can basically release some of the the food that you ate. And um, I remember saying uh, sometimes as it could get bad and it, I use three different purge methods in a day. Well, that's defined as, as bulimia. And, and then there were other things where if you have an addiction to something, especially food, if it takes over your life where all you think about is the foods that you want to eat or the foods that are going to be where you are and, um, and this like over focus on food and your body. And while the clinical definitions are a good, or somewhat decent baseline, I think context really matters. And I think that's where when it comes to carnivore, yes, we are being very specific with our foods. But I, I think if we talk about the general definitions of eating disorders, we will know if a person has an eating disorder or not. Well, even with what you said, I think, and we're going to get into a lot of nuance and discussion. And, you know, even with what you said, I think if you haven't listened any further than this to say that I do think there are people who use a carnivore diet to fuel an eating disorder. I think so. Yes. And I also think that there are people who use a carnivore diet to heal from eating disorder. I think sometimes it's a replacement for other disorders um, and other addictions. Um, that's what, you know, orthorexia is this like obsession with exercise and with health and just this fear of anything that's like not perfect and health in some way. And so I think that there are people who use carnivore to fuel this eating disorder that they have. Somehow they've convinced themselves that this carnivore is safe foods, that somehow they're okay. It's why we see this obsession sometimes around grass finished, organic, zero seed oils. I can't eat in this restaurant. And like some of the things that you mentioned about this clinical definition, this obsession about food, this like, you know, not this anxiety about, can I eat anything when I go to this place? Like, what about this restaurant? Is it going to be organic? Is there going to be seed oils? Is there going to be pepper on my food? Like sometimes it can go to that extreme where it also then becomes an eating disorder. And it doesn't, it's not because it's carnivore or because you're not eating vegetables. It's kind of sometimes because of the obsession and this hyper, um, you know, like you said, this focus that goes into every single moment. Yeah, I would say that people that have an eating disorder or disordered eating are, it's when most of your life is just encompassed with what are you going to eat? What can I eat so that I don't gain weight? Or um, where can I go? And it's a lot of these emotions and anxiety over the food and how you look and what you look like, and then the social interaction. And if it takes over a lot of your day, 
I think that's where some of that disordered eating can happen. I guess when eating disorders first became labeled, it was a lot more anorexia and bulimia and bulimia is when you use the binge purge cycle. But now there's also orthorexia and binge eating disorder just came about in the last couple years where that's the biggest prevalence of eating disorders. It's when people feel out of control. So they use food and they overly eat. And oftentimes then eating disorders become a way to deal with coping with feelings of anger, sadness, depression, anxiety, worry. And then they start isolating. So afterward, they feel bad that they've eaten this way or or maybe they were trying to eat those foods to mute some emotions and then they're able to isolate because now they don't feel well from all that food they ate or they're just really tired or they're having brain fog. And so it's almost the excuse of the food and that then makes them, I guess, not live in society, right? So now they're cutting off their friend. And I, I could really share a lot of my my history and maybe that'll personify an eating disorder a lot more. So I was always probably maybe 10, 20 pounds, a little bit heavier than the typical really thin Asian. And as I went through puberty, I gained that weight. And prior to that, I wasn't heavier. But once in a while, like some of the Asian guy friends who were pretty much my height, because I'm pretty tall for an Asian girl, they would make fun of me and say, oh, she's kind of big. And, and so I thought, everything in my life will be better if I lose weight. And I didn't know how to do that. So I mean, I ate meat at that point, but I didn't know that I should be reducing carbs and all the junk foods that I was eating. So I would try to exercise and none of that was working. And eventually, I went plant based. And that's where I lost a lot of that weight. And I even became very, very thin. And then I got some of the compliments and it started motivating me to want to stay that thin. But over time, it wasn't sustainable. And so unknowingly, I started binging and it was just, I would eat one cookie. And for some reason I couldn't control myself. And then within 15, 30 minutes, the whole box of cookies would, would be gone. And then there was this other drive in me of like, I need to go eat something salty now. And it was, I was literally out of control. Do you think, and sorry, then, you said you think that you were restricting yourself so much and looking back now, you know, that you were depriving yourself of like healthy fats and nutrition and your body yes. was just really starved from nutrition. And then that's potentially like what led you to binge and to kind of start on that cycle in the first place. Yeah. So looking back now, I do think that the physical body needed nutrients and I, my diet was a low fat plant-based diet. So I wasn't having really any fats. I think once I would open the gate and binge, my body would say, you need some fat or some nutrition. Right. And so it would cause this animalistic behavior in me to go seek out foods. And of course I knew nothing about nutrition, but I couldn't stop the floodgates. And I know now I really think there's two sides to an eating so disorder. One is the physical side where if you're not nourishing your body, your body will do whatever to motivate you, hit the dopamine response to get you to get food in your system to support the body. But then there's also the mental side, that emotional coping side. And for me, when I was malnourished from my plant-based diet and severely under eating, so those binges would then, I think, take care of some of that nourishment. But then immediately after, I would go through this what did I do? I, I, I have no self-motivation. I have shame. no discipline. And I, yes, the shame and guilt. And, and so I would do every single thing I could to then purge myself so that no one would know. And I could keep up that persona of, look, I am still thin. I am healthy. I am plant-based, but instead I was using laxatives and I was going to the gym at two in the morning and working out for two hours. And that's how I was keeping up that level of perfectionism, but really I was slowly dying inside. And so that's like an extreme side, but I really think that whole 
you know, where people at the end of the day, they maybe maybe they hate their job and they couldn't speak out to their boss. And so they're mad and they come home and they're just, you know, now they're tired. Maybe they didn't sleep well the night before. And and so on their drive home, even though they wanted to eat healthy all day, and maybe they did during the yeah. work hours, but at home that you feel that stress and you just like, I'll go to the gas station and I'll pick up some cookies. And then that one little bite then triggers you to go screw it. I already messed up today. And then you go off the rails and you just go off your diet. And I think a lot of that is also related to disordered eating. It's when you use food or when you use this external thing to then comfort whatever emotion you're feeling instead of dealing with it. And it doesn't have to be food. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. But in our space, it's really a lot of that eating disorder tendency. And so I think ultimately people know if they have an eating disorder. If if there's something with... Ooh, I I can't eat that bite of something because I know I'll spiral. And now if you're new to carnivore and you have to abstain from carbs, that's different in my opinion. And there's a level of addiction in sugar too. But I think if, you know, somebody's carnivore for 10 years and they have healed a lot, but they're still scared of trying some bit of sugar, maybe there is something that are are you just band-aiding the eating disorder, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you mentioned. So I do think that I dealt with type a type of an eating disorder without realizing it for the majority of my life. I thought I just sucked at portion control or I thought I just was like, you know, gaining weight or overeating and didn't realize how much my mind and my emotions were being, you know, soothed by food. The day that we're recording this, you know, is the day today would have been my brother's 40th birthday. Um, he died in a car accident when he was 13. And, you know, some, I kind of Judy and I caught up for a little bit and I got all my emotions out before we started recording. But, um, part of some years are harder than others and some years go by and, and I feel fine. And other years, like, I think this is a big one. Like he would have been 40 today. And so it's really I don't know. It's been harder. And I spent a lot of time today, like digging through pictures and kind of trying to remember a lot of that stuff from before. And, you know, I also think for the majority of my life, if I was having a sad day on like the anniversary of when he died or on a day like today, when it would have been his birthday, I would have literally stayed in bed all day surrounded by food. I would have gone to the gas station likely in the morning or the grocery store. And I would have gotten cookies and chips and candy and snacks. And I would have just laid in bed all day with a box of tissues and watched TV and literally just eaten food all day long just to like, I'm having a me day. I'm having a sad day. And like, somehow I thought that would make me feel better. And that's what I needed to do. And even once I was losing weight, it's like, great, I'm losing weight. I'm on a diet. I can do all these things. Whenever these sad days or hard days or life through difficult situations at me, I still instantly would turn to food. And even if it was, even there was times when it was junk food, like after I had started, you know, trying to lose weight or over the years and I would get off track, but there was even times then when I had switched fully to carnivore, where I would find myself still using carnivore foods to fulfill that emotional sadness or the grief or deal with my stress or whatever that is. And so I, I truly don't, it took a long time for me understanding carnivore and food, you know, eating disorders and like not, it took me so long to realize 
like what I was doing, I guess, or to kind of even just be honest with myself about how many times did I sneak out during the day at work and buy a bunch of stuff from a gas station and put it in my desk at work and be sneak eating it all day or stop at Chick-fil-A on my way home and get fries and a milkshake and then come home and just eat normal dinner with my family, like hiding food and like obsessing, like I can't eat this in front of my coworkers because they'll think that I'm fat and this is why I'm fat because I'm eating a donut. So like, when can I sneak away and eat a donut instead when nobody would notice? And like, like I, until I kind of broke free of that, I didn't realize how much of my life was spent around obsessing about food um, and just being controlled by when could I get certain foods and how much could I eat without anybody noticing and how can I feel better and get this like, you know, dopamine fix from binging on this type of food, you know? And I think because I thought like, well, I'm not anorexic and I'm not purging. Like there's no disorder here. Those were kind of the two distinctions. And so looking back, you realize how much of your life was just simply controlled by food. Yeah. And I I think it's when we turn to food as our major stress releaser or when we celebrate with food and I do blame society as we normalize food and using food for comfort, right? When we watch TV, we see people sad. So it's like, let's go get some ice cream. Or when we're celebrating, it's like, let's get some cake or let's go to happy hour. Food is a big part of just our culture. But and I think that's why it's also very prevalent that then we struggle. I mean, it is very hard to say, okay, we're going to only have sugar at certain points. And then all the other times will be clean eaters. We know that sugar hits the dopamine receptors just as much or if not worse than cocaine and other addictive drugs. And if we know that, then maybe there are certain foods that are really quite addictive. And that's what can actually make eating disorders even spiral more. And I get that a lot of what you said uh, resonates very much with me. It's just it didn't stay on my body because I did everything I could in my might to get rid of it from my body. But what I dealt with afterward was the mental illness side of it, right? Because maybe a lot of the nutrients didn't stay and then it became um, just a mental illness. I think when it comes to carnivore, I do. So I heard from a couple people in the space that there are Anna groups, a lot of the anorexic people, they call themselves Anna's. And so I guess in those groups, there's a lot of, hey, you guys can use carnivore to become super thin. Mm. And so there is some of that going around. But even with a vegan diet, people could say you could look sickly and thin people that are 60 look so you can look like that. So yes, technically in the DSM-5 handbook, there are certain definitions of what causes an eating disorder, um, excessive food restriction. So if you think about carnivore, we're, we're restricting everything but meat. So it can seem like an eating disorder, but at the end of the day, it really gets down to the individual. When the person is carnivore, are you using it to maintain your weight and not just a, well, yeah, I'm thinner on carnivore. So therefore I want to stay on it. Not that type of definition, but I know that I can only eat four patties of meat or eight ounces of steak in a meal. And then I can be this weight. And that is the only foods or right. this type of quality of meat or this type of, I can't have this type of seasoning Or I know you and I both like this obsession with like, I can't eat in this restaurant because they're going to, they might use an oil of some kind. Right, right. So the orthorexia side is, I think, a side that maybe people unknowingly come to carnivore to heal, to lose weight, to heal a lot of other things. And then all of a sudden they hear this grass finished is the only way. If you're eating um, grocery stores, you're eating hormones, you're going to get sick. And then 
people are unknowingly tipping over towards the orthorexic area. And that's where you're super attention focused on your food quality, you have genuine fears of eating at certain restaurants, because maybe your meat touched the seed oil, you don't know what's in your water, that water may pollute your body, and then you may have more um, heavy metals in your system. Well, like you mentioned earlier, you you're avoiding going to locations with friends. You can't be around people because right. of the food obsession. You can't be certain places because the fear of like what might be served or like what you might have there. Like there's definitely you're avoiding, you know, isolating yourself from your relationships. And like all of those things could be tendencies as well um, that people find themselves kind of going down that rabbit hole with a negative side of things, even on carnivore. Yeah. When I was really sick with my eating disorder, there would be times where I knew a birthday party was coming up or we're all going out to a club. And I knew I didn't feel my thinnest. Um, Maybe I had binged and purged the night before. And so that level of social anxiety, I would end up binging right before. And then I would purge. And I would feel really, really sedated and sick. And a lot of times when you binge and purge, you have this release of that dopamine too. And maybe that was part of it. And then so all that anxiety would kind of get removed from me. But then I was just very, very physically and mentally exhausted. So that would became my reason of not wanting to go out anymore. So I would tell my friends, I'm sorry, I don't feel good. I can't go out or I would have every single reason. But ultimately, it was I was using my eating disorder to deal with my life. And everything that I dealt with in life was around that it was, wait, where are we going to the restaurant? Let me look at the restaurant. And not just I get it if we look at a restaurant's menu, because we want to make sure that there's sufficient meat on the table. That is not what I'm talking about. It was, okay, I need to figure out which one has the lowest amount of calories so that I can get away with eating a certain amount of food in front of my colleagues or my friends and look normal. So again, it always goes back to where is your mindset in this all? And are you looking at a menu to know that there's enough food to eat? Or are you looking at the menu to figure out what can I eat to get away with a meal, but I'm really eating a small amount? Yeah, and I think that's it. So let's talk about like what the positives or I guess like, how could we be living this restrictive life and it not be an eating disorder? And then let's talk about maybe some tendencies that we have seen through carnivore where it does maybe lean a little more towards eating disorder behavior. So like from a, from a non-eating disorder behavior thing, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with abstaining from processed foods and sugars. We're treating those things like a drug. You know, if you don't call somebody that's um, in alcoholism recovery or that's does zero alcohol, you don't call them as having a disorder because they're restricting alcohol to the extreme. Because we know that alcohol can be poisonous and alcohol can be bad for people in excess. Or even for some people, alcohol, one drink could cause them to spiral and deal with alcoholism. And so when we are talking about restricting carbs and sugar and processed foods to the extreme, I truly do look at it as though if, if I'm restricting alcohol, where there might be people who could have one drink and be fine. There are other people who will have one drink and are going to completely spiral out of the c- control with their alcoholism. And I think some people can have a piece of cake on a birthday and they're fine, while other people are going to have that one piece of cake and spiral out of control. And so for me, this extreme restriction of not having processed foods, carbs, and sugar is in that same category. And so I definitely don't consider that, nor do I think, I think unfortunately people sometimes project that onto us as being an eating disorder. When in reality, we are just restricting foods that are toxic and harmful for us and foods that we know we can't moderate. No, that's exactly it. Um, 
I think that's why that whole definition from Gretchen Rubin of um, abstainer versus moderator yeah. is so important. Um, my mom is a moderator on her 70th birthday. She had a few pieces of cheesecake and she was fine. And she, they brought her this big old thing of junk food for her birthday. She blew out the candles and didn't even consider touching any of it where, you know, all the grandkids are coming over wanting to touch um, all the junk food. But Whereas my dad, it's like he has one thing and then he wants to eat all of it. So that's where my dad is much more of an abstainer, whereas my mother is a moderator and she can be okay with those little bits. I do think it really depends on, you know, how you get triggered with food. But it's just that the tendency in our society for most of us, it is a highly addictive drug. I did an interview with a doctor named Susan Thompson, and she talks about how for her, she was a drug addict and an alcohol um, user. And the hardest thing for her was to get off sugar because it is so prevalent everywhere we go in parties, um, people say live a little and just everything in moderation. That's what's truly healthy. Whereas if you're an alcoholic, people say it's okay, you can abstain, I totally get it. But when you're trying to abstain from a little bit of chocolate or someone's birthday cake, you know, it's not okay. Right. And whether or not people are projecting that's just the narrative you get is you feel shame for not wanting or being able to handle that. I mean, we are obese as a nation because these foods that we're eating were never meant to really be eaten in this amount and this frequently. And I think that's a big issue. And so for me, like I know how serious of an eating disorder it can be. I mean, I went through all of the eating disorder treatment centers and when I was really, really struggling with my eating disorder, like everything was about food. Um, my baby would cry in the middle of the night. And if I was going through a cycle of binge purging, I would make him cry it out. And that was probably the only time I would make him cry it out because it mattered more that I got everything out of my system than going to t- care for him. And that's how disordered I was. Yeah. I would promise my husband I would not go out at night and like binge through all the stores. And there was this strong nature in me that I needed to go out. And so yes, I was moderating all the foods I could, but I couldn't do it. And and once I became carnivore, I never have a struggle like that. And I, I never think of let me go out in the middle of the night and buy some junk food. Or I, I never think of um, I'm not going to care for my child because whatever I'm eating is more important. And um, there there's just a level of freedom that Unless you dealt with the true eating disorder, you don't know how it is to, even though we have a more restrictive diet, it's giving you all the freedom that you can live your life without obsessing over food and your weight. And I mean, it's a huge leap in healing for me that no one that has never lived through that will understand. And so when people all over the internet tell me, oh, this person is swapping one eating disorder for another, like they have no idea. Right. I love, I do love that phrase that, um, you know, I've used on social media often that talks about there's freedom in restriction. And for me, not having to force myself to moderate those carbs and sugars, like I feel this huge weight lifted off of me where it's now a non-negotiable, like it's not an option for me. There is no more mental torture of how much of this giant muffin can I eat before people think that I'm gluttonous and how much, how can I get more of them when nobody's looking and how can I like all of a sudden, all of this obsession is completely removed when it's not even an option for me anymore. And so I think that the, you know, the fruits are the same way for me and any type of carbs or sugar and sweet stuff, like those are all the same. And then once you get into like the vegetable area, it's like, I just don't feel good eating vegetables or I don't miss them. And so that also kind of 
it, to me, that's not even like a, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not eating them because I care about having a carnivore label. I'm just eating them, not eating them because I don't feel good on them or because I just don't miss them, I guess, in some ways. I, I think I liked vegetables my whole life and I, I don't think I had such an adverse effect from them. It's just the lack of meat and the lack of fats really affected right. me mentally. But now eating carnivore f- really strictly for three years and then occasionally eating veggies here and there, it really doesn't affect me much. I mean, definitely I feel bloat. Um, I don't feel as energetic as when I'm clean carnivore. But I, I think most people that are on a carnivore diet, they have to abstain from sugar. And that's where I think understanding that and coming from an eating disorder, I understand that very, very well. And so for people that were then saying you need fruits, you need honey, it's just a such a small subset of the population that would ever be able to moderate with that way and not then eat all those fruits and eat more junk food. Um, I thought it was irresponsible for them to be sharing that kind of stuff, especially as leaders in the space. Yeah. And so let's, I want to talk about one, let me mention one thing. And then I think then I want to talk about that for sure, because there are people who used to do carnivore, criticized it for being a car, uh, an eating disorder, and then completely went in, in a different direction. And I want to make sure we right. touch on that. Um, but I also think though, any type of eating disorder, food addiction, um, gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, like most people usually at first take one addiction and replace it with another. I remember when I was trying to quit smoking, I started using, um, this was many years ago, right? But I started using dumb, dumb pops to like replace my smoking because I needed something that was that hand to mouth, mindless habit thing. Like I would be driving around in my car and like using a dumb, dumb sucker to like, because I needed to like hold something out the window when I was used to having that cigarette. And I think that And even now I have to make sure that today I'm telling you, I have been very cognizant of myself today where I'm not allowing myself to do any online shopping today because I still have a tendency to say, I'm feeling sad. I'm dealing with grief. I'm feeling stressed. My first, I first instinct is to go for food. Well, I can't do that anymore. I'm working on that. So then I want to do shopping and I want to spend money. And sometimes I tell Chris, like, you know, I've had days before where I'm like, I'm having a rough day. I'm going shopping, <laughs> you know, and it's in, it's, it is sometimes replacing one bad habit with another or one addiction with another. And we have to be so careful of that tendency. And I think what you and I have done so much of the last several years is doing the very hard, painful work of addressing the root cause issues behind you spend a lot of time focusing on why were you binging? What was happening? What was the emotional part behind it? I'm dealing with why am I wanting to eat? Why am I wanting to shop? Where's the emotional side behind this? Where's this? Where are these feelings coming from? How can I address this without trying to numb the pain? How can I face this head on? Like it is not fun. And it takes a lot of really hard work to deal with that. And sometimes we just find a replacement for it. And that replacement can be shopping or carnivore or the likes on Instagram and the engagement that we're getting like through different things or your, whatever it is, like we can use something else as that drug because we are no longer allow allowing ourselves to use food anymore. And so it is a really long, hard process to just face those feelings and head on and deal with them and work through them and do the hard work of not letting anything be that numbing tool for your stress and your grief and your feelings. No, and you're exactly right with that. With my first year of carnivore, 
I slipped in during the holidays into keto and then just eating conventional junk foods. And I think a part of the reason was I didn't learn a coping mechanism so that when I'm sad or when I'm sitting down in front of the TV where I'm used to snacking, well, now what do I do? For everybody that uses some type of addiction to deal with some type of emotion or for celebration or just to unwind at the end of the day, when you don't have food anymore, you have to figure out something else because if you don't, it's like what Dr. Syvest said, eventually, I mean, he used the puzzle thing, I think, or he walks his dogs, but eventually if you don't have something to help you cope in those moments that you turn to food, you will eventually go back to food. It's the inevitable fact if you don't have a tool in the toolbox to take over the food. And that's why that's why I think personally, when COVID hit, and we were all really scared of what would happen in the very beginning, a lot of us ended up saying, screw it. Well, if I'm going to be home anyway, and we're not going to see anybody, and I don't know if I'm going to survive this, well, might as well eat the foods I want to eat, right? right? And you have that cortisol excess. And so people started turning into sugar. And I saw people changing their names online. And and I get it. I mean, but what if we had our toolbox ready with other ways, you know, maybe it's like going for a walk, but you have to figure out what makes you happy in those moments, or that will help you feel relieved in those moments, because food and like Laura said, food is not going to take care of whatever ailment you're feeling in that moment, it may numb you in that split second. And there is emotional neurotransmitters, dopamine, etc, that will release and it's true. But afterward, you still have to deal with the shame spiral. And then what are you going to do? Right. And we know, like, I mean, I wish we could say like, oh, I figured out the perfect way for me to eat and I'm just going to eat this way all the time. And I think sometimes we do that and it looks so easy online, but then we deal with really hard days. Like we've figured out, like, I think all of us can write down on paper, like what's the perfect way for us to eat, to lose weight and be healthy. But none of that addresses when you are come face to face with stress and uh, lack of sleep and grief and sadness and work frustrations and kids and your husband and you would get in a fight and like whatever it is, like all of a sudden, whatever that perfect plan is goes completely out the window because you're just trying to cope in the moment and feel better. And the quickest thing that I think we people use that a lot with food. And I think we still have a lot of carnivores doing that with alcohol. You know, we have a lot of people who are still in on the evenings having a bunch of alcohol to try to cope with that. And I think you know, we all have something that I think shopping is another big part of it, um, or just, you know, social media addiction in general. And there's something that we're all using to escape and to not deal with whatever it is that we're going through, um, and to numb that. And I think that that's where I think sometimes the carnivore diet can get a bad reputation for being an eating disorder for two reasons. One, people don't understand why the restriction is good necessarily. Right. And I think we've addressed that. And I do think that there are some people in this space who do exhibit a lot of very serious eating disorder behaviors publicly. And that gets trends like projected onto the entire community. Uh, And I think that you can pick on a couple of, you know, people or instances or behaviors that then it makes it look like the entire diet itself is, a disorder when, like you said, it's where is this coming from? Um, and what are the reasons behind the actions and what you're doing? And I think sometimes that 
it, I mean, it makes everybody look bad. And it makes the, it, it, it's like you're blaming the diet when, look, is shopping a problem? Is alcohol itself a problem? Are these individual things a problem? No, it's when we can't control it, when we're doing it for the wrong reasons, when we're doing it to excess or when it ends up not being a good thing for us. Yeah, there, I mean, there are some advocates in this space that are very thin and they probably don't look like a typical carnivore that you'll see. And and you're right. I mean, that will give carnivore in a sense that label of maybe it can be an eating disorder. And I, I just think that in any diet, there will be some select people that will make a name for themselves that aren't doing it in a very healthy manner. Right. But I, I think we need to put back our critical thinking caps and think, well, I've been doing it the way that so-and-so has said that they've done it for so long and I still don't look like them. Maybe it's not me anymore. Maybe it's not because I added a little bit of seasoning to my steak, but maybe it's just what they're sharing isn't real or what I'm doing isn't necessarily going to give me those results. And instead of taking that ownership on ourselves of the guilt and blame of I'm not doing it right enough or perfect enough. And it's just, again, it goes back to social media is just a snippet of your life and you don't know what else happens behind closed doors. What I'll share with eating disorders is a lot of my life was controlled by food, but not because I was craving chocolate. Like there were times of that for sure. And I would go and I think that was the deficiency for my body. But at the core of it, when I went through therapy, it was because I didn't think I was good enough. Right. Ultimately, I would be loved if I was thin enough, if I was good enough, if people liked me enough, right? So in the social media space, it's now, if I have enough followers, if if I get enough likes, if my reels do well, right? I'm not saying that's me, but I'm saying, I think that's what sure. happens in social media space as well. I At the end of the day, I had to go through therapy and hard work and understand where my desire to be thin came from, where my need to control my food and do all these things um, came from in order for me to heal. You know, I've said it many times on this podcast in the past. Yeah, sure. I know exactly how I need to eat to probably be five, 10 pounds thinner. And I would probably be happier, quote unquote, at that weight. But it's unrealistic for me to be that regimented and it's just not a priority to my in my life anymore, right? I have yeah. a lot more things I want to do with my life. And that's how I know how much I've healed from my eating disorder. When you're only eating a certain amount in a meal and you're genuinely scared of eating one more ounce or having a tablespoon of fat or um, eating a certain cut that you don't know the calories and macros on, what's the fear in it? Is it because you're genuinely scared you're going to gain weight or, or that it'll make you spiral and then you're going to go eat a cake or ice cream? And, and if it is that fear, then you have to dig deep and figure out where is it coming from? Even if you gain 10, 20, 50 pounds, like what is the worst thing that can happen to you? And my answer to that question, when my therapist asked it was, I thought I would be rejected and not loved. And that's when I realized that everything stemmed from me wanting to prove myself and be good enough. And, and I'm sure there's some of that still in nutrition with Judy, where I work so hard. And why is that? Because I want to prove myself, you know, I'm sure right. there's some of that in there, but people need to be honest with the eating side of it. You know, what is the fear of eating a little bit more meat? And so that's where I think the eating disorder can still be part of carnivore because now you have lesser foods to control and you know exactly what macros and calories are and what things. But if you cannot eat a random ribeye in a, in a restaurant and you don't even know what size exactly it'll be or what they cooked it with. And if you add a little butter and if you're kind of scared to eat that way, I, I really have to ask the people listening why, because it's not a, peaceful place to be if you're 
genuinely stressed and scared and anxious to eat anywhere. If you get sick from it, I understand that that's a completely different thing. But if it's a weight thing, or you may now struggle with your food addictions, that's a whole different thing. And I would highly encourage people to focus on working on that. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me when I hear people saying like, well, I can't have a piece of sugar free gum because it tastes sweet. And it's going to trigger me to spiral out of control. Like I, I just, I think in that case, you have more work to do from a personal right. perspective to focus on why are you fault? Like, why are you feeling this way? Like what's causing you to trigger that much from a piece of sugar-free gum or a piece of like those, like that's still a problem that you need to address the root cause issue. Um, I rarely engage with the carnivore Facebook groups, but I was like up too late last night scrolling and somebody posted um, and I took a screenshot of it. And then I said, said something back because I was so annoyed, but they said before complaining about not getting results, make sure you don't drink coffee because if you drink coffee, then you aren't doing the carnivore diet. I don't care who says you can drink coffee or not. It's not part of the carnivore diet and it hinders your results, maintains your health problems and raises LDL. So number one, I don't drink coffee. Number two, I don't care if you drink coffee, like, but And also, I'm not saying caffeine is good and I'm not saying the coffee is good. It might be causing you issues. But if you're saying that you're drinking coffee and this isn't carnivore and that means that you're not getting all the results and it's messing up your LDL and causing all of your health problems because you're drinking coffee, like you and I talk about maybe you have deeper root cause issues that you need to be addressing from a health perspective that's not being caused by the coffee, right? This is how I feel with seasonings. If you are dealing with, now there are people like you said, who are coming to this from a health perspective and autoimmune perspective for a while, you might have to cut out all seasonings. I completely agree and watch where you're eating in restaurants and all that kind of cross contamination stuff. But the goal would be then for you to heal and be able to incorporate some things back over time. If you are at a point where you've been doing this for years and years, and you're so terrified of having like a seasoning or something else, then I would simply ask yourself why and what's going on. There's either some root cause healing that needs to happen if you're having health issues from it. And then also just from a mental perspective, I think for a while I found myself not eating something because I was like, oh, I can't eat that because it's not carnivore. And then I won't be considered carnivore. And then I was like, that's stupid, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, why was I not eating a pickle in my, like, and now I joke, like, that's the joke of like, what I eat is a pickle. Like, if I want to eat a pickle, I'm going to eat a pickle because it doesn't trigger me. I can mentally handle it. It's not going to cause me to spiral. It's not going to cause me issues. And it's not going to cause me negative health issues. So why was I so concerned about avoiding pickles previously? Because it would, it's not considered carnivore. And then I realized that's not healthy, right? Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to fit everything into this diet label versus having like this diet label is like just what happens to work for me or, or just living my life and then seeing what kind of fits into it. But if I'm just so concerned about labeling myself the perfect carnivore that I'm avoiding things, then to me, that is where I see issues, right? And I I don't eat fruit because it would raise my glucose. I would eat too much of it. It would cause me to gain weight in an unhealthy way. It would cause me to be insulin resistant. It would could lead me back to prediabetes. Like that's why I don't eat fruit, right? But if I think it's interesting for us to think about And to be honest with ourselves and say, why am I not doing something? And if it's only because somebody might not think I'm a perfect carnivore then, (laughs) 
then I think we have, then that's where we're leading ourselves more into like, you know, a disordered behavior. Yeah, orthorexia. Yeah. And orthorexia right. and saying like, I can't eat in this restaurant because they might use a seed oil and that might, not because I feel any different, right? Not because I, it's going to affect my health for one day in any difference. It's because that's not allowed. I can't. No, exactly. I mean, that's why I stopped being strict carnivore after three years. Um, it was affecting our family and I couldn't eat a lot of restaurants. So the question became, where should we eat? And it's actually, where can mom eat? And there was a lot of restaurants that I couldn't eat. I couldn't even eat Rudy's where there's just a little bit of sugar in their rub. And I didn't, and I think there was black pepper at that time where I was removing all oxalates and it just becomes a place of, I, I felt it. It was like, okay, well, now I'm not really struggling with an eating disorder, but I definitely am struggling with orthorexia in a sense of where is that meat source, right? Uh, where are the eggs from? Is it cage-free, corn-fed, non-corn-fed? Was your water in a plastic water bottle or was it ever in the heat? And and I just realized- You can't touch receipts, Judy. You can <laughs> never touch a receipt. You're never allowed to touch receipts because they're toxic and they're going to kill you. Yeah. So the context of that is uh, receipts have more BPA than plastic water bottles. But, you know, I just, I think one day I realized it's inevitable for us to use plastic. It's literally in everything. And I just realized, you know what, there, there's such a thing as a nocebo effect where if you're genuinely scared of something, you can make your body manifest it to be true. And so if Mm. let's say I have to drink out of a water bottle because that's all I have and I drink it and I think this water is going to get me sick, I can manifest it to become sick, uh, myself to become sick. So I I think that's where this whole orthorexia thing does happen. I do think it's very prevalent in the carnivore space. You know, I respect Dr. Paul Saladino for a lot of the intellect he brings to the diet space, but I, I honestly think he really pushes a lot of the orthorexia, right? Be scared of everything except for beef and the liver and some of the supplements. And a bunch of fruit. Right. But, oh yeah, yeah, and the fruit. But but otherwise, but even with the fruit and the honey, it's you have to get a certain type of honey or it's not right. real or right. But everything else, whether it's pork, chicken, I mean, people are genuinely scared of eating those foods because they think it's getting them fat. But if we just take a step back and think about, do you really think that seasoning is really what's making your body that's really smart and can tolerate so many other things in this world? but it's the seasoning that's making your body become unable to heal or the coffee or the the little bit of poofas in the chicken or the pork. I mean, just the logic in that itself is so flawed. Right. And I do think it's important to control what you eat and drink and all of those things and having quality water is important. You know, we have a whole episode on like drinking and Judy really breaks down like how to have proper water. I think it's important to avoid seed oils. Like all of those things are important to do like as much as possible and most of the time, right? But if you happen to be in, and I travel with a refillable water bottle, so I don't have to buy water bottles in airports, you know, like I can, I try to go to restaurants that are going to avoid seed oils. I bring my own salts places. So I'm not dealing with the table salts in restaurants that has like a bunch of junk in it. So like, I think it's important to do what you're going to do most of the time, but I think though the, where it gets to this other extreme is this obsession about like, like I got invited to a baby shower yesterday and I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to eat when I was there. So I brought, actually I brought carnivore snacks in my purse <laughs> and then there was like, um, you know, 
uh, meats and cheeses on the table. There was like a sandwich, like a deli sandwich that I took the bread off and I had some deli meat that probably wasn't perfectly clean, but it was fine for me. There was like some kind of dip that I think had some spinach in it that I had like a couple bites of. And so like I did the best that I could, but like I can imagine there are, you know, taking it to the extreme of like not even wanting to go to this baby shower because I might not have been able to eat there or I wouldn't have been able to drink anything there. Or, you know, there are times in my life and my weight loss journey where I just would have eaten nothing there. And maybe that would have been okay too. I would have either eaten before I went or I would have fasted. Um, but I think sometimes though, again, it's just like, is this controlling what we do with our lives? Um, how much to the extreme are we taking this? And then I also think like, like the macro element. I think tracking your macros can be helpful if you're trying to hit a specific goal, if you're trying to lose weight, but this obsession about hitting the right macros every single day, day over day, like there has to be times where some, like yesterday I barely ate, like I had a little bit of like nibbling on that stuff at the baby shower. And then I went to the, the meetup in the evening and I actually didn't eat because I was too busy talking. Today I'm starving and I ate a lot for lunch and I'm probably gonna eat another second meal for the day. So I've eaten a lot today and I ate not a lot yesterday. Like that's a normal cycle. Like sometimes people are more hungry than others. We eat different amounts of food on different days. Like I eat different fat to protein ratios on different days just because that's how my life turns out. Some days I eat fatty, some days I eat lean. But to have this, like, I can't go there because I'm not going to be able to get enough fat and I'm not going to be able to do this. And this is the, like, to me, I think that's where it starts controlling our lives a little bit. And it does, it's no longer sustainable. And sometimes for me, the more I see people push themselves into this box of trying to fit in this perfect diet of being the perfect carnivore, I see them completely go off the rails in the other direction because it's just not sustainable. And the same way that you were saying your body was so starved of nutrients and you were under eating and you were so, you know, in this terrible place that you ended up binging and going off the rails. And I think it's just because what you were doing was not sustainable for you. And that can happen to people, whether they're on carnivore, whether they're plant-based, whether they're living on salads and chicken breast and cutting calories, like whatever it is, if what you're doing is not sustainable for you, it will cause you to go off the rails into the other extreme. And we see this time and time again. And I think it's because a lot of like macros or something that's trending is because someone is advocating for that, right? So Paul Saladino advocated for the fruit and meats and look at him. And so therefore, if you want to look like him, you eat that way. And I think with this whole macro thing, it's the same thing of if you want to heal, you have to eat this way. But we have, my team has worked with so many people. And if you eat very high fat for long, either you have to really push down your protein, or you have to accept that you're going to gain a ton of weight in the process. Right. That's why the PKD diet, as they are using it as a therapeutic healing tool, and they focus on like cancer and eradicating type one diabetes, but they make their people eat very, very low protein. And to a point that long term, I don't think it's ideal. So when we ever advocate for a very high fat, it's for a very short period for a very therapeutic reason, or they're going to start gaining weight over time if they eat the sufficient amount of protein. So you have to pick a dial. And I think it really makes sense. Like you and I, the one thing we keep saying is we don't really track once in a while, we'll track something just to know kind of where we are. But if you want to be consistent, you have to make it a lifestyle. You are not a calculator. Your body is not a calculator. Just like 
on some days we sleep the same eight hours and we are more tired than another day we slept six and we feel energized in the same vein, our bodies are not going to always need the same amount of calories. Some days we need more because of our cycle. We, and we are trying to scientify everything we do in our bodies, because if you're a woman, you need proteins and fats at this time of your cycle. And, And I get, there's all the science again with that, but I really think in order to make this consistent, in order to be free of an eating disorder, you have to trust your body. And if your body that day is like, whoa, I ate super lean protein, I had a PSMF day, and I'm kind of hungry, maybe I should be eating fat. And that's probably the answer, right? It's just diets are very short term. But if you want to use carnivore as a lifestyle and as a healing tool, it is very possible. And unless you start trusting your body and you take the driver's seat, you'll never be able to heal, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's just trying to heal from trying to lose some of the weight that's gained over the years through metabolic syndrome, you will never fully heal until you start saying, I'm going to be the one in the driver's seat. And I will dictate if today I need more fat, if maybe I need a little less. Sure, if you're first starting on this, yes, you need to probably listen to some of the books, the Um, experts. But after a while, you need to say, you know what? No, I don't think that really makes sense that I should be doing that. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And think about like you and I have two extremely different histories, right? We have, we're different, uh, you know, (laughs) ethnic backgrounds or whatever races. I don't know what you're supposed to call it, but like we are two completely different genetic makeups. We have two histories like with food are very opposite. We have two different health issues. We came from two different weights. Like we have two different activity levels. There's so much that's different about us. And even though, yes, we're both women and we're both a similar age and we both have two kids and we have, there's still so much that's different that you and I aren't going to do things the same way. And not only that, but we both have to figure out like, how is this going to work for us long-term? And I think that's, that's where you, I mean, like, This is all that I've really cared about in the last couple of years is really just focusing on how can we make this a lifestyle and live this way long-term so that I'm not, you know, right now all the talk is like, stick to it through the holidays. So you don't have to get back on track on Monday, on the January 1st. And it's like, but if this is my life, like this just needs to be my life. And it's, and, and it's, it's trying to find a way that you can live this way. That's going to not have you constantly be falling into these extremes and getting off track and getting back on track again. Um, and I think that's where the, like you said, the true freedom comes in and the true healing comes in from, from not just using this as another disorder. Um, I got to the point with carnivore where I was so obsessed with it. I was just, I thought fasting was great. I'm going to do more fasting. And I thought exercise was great. I'm going to do more exercise and eating one meal a day is great. And I'm going to stick to it no matter what. And I did all of those things to the extreme and I got too thin and I thought like, Oh, losing weight is great. I'm just going to keep losing weight. Well, then I started having hormone issues, but I thought like aesthetically, I want to be thin. I want to be thin. And so I'm going to keep doing these things. And it's been a really, really hard mental thing for me to realize that like, I can't be as thin as I want to be and still be healthy. Um, or as thin as I thought I, you know, as like, I just, I can't keep losing weight. It's not about losing weight and being as thin as, as other people are. Right. right? I see other people online and I'm like, I want to be as thin as them, but I wasn't healthy when I got to that point. And so I can't force my body to be thinner. Um, because it's just not, but you don't know if they're healthy that's either, true. but that's yeah, absolutely thing, right. So because I work with so many people, the, the women that work with me that are their thinnest, 
a lot of them don't have their cycle. I mean, there's just a lot of things that we do not see behind closed doors. I know that as we talk, people can think of people that are incredibly thin online. And most people would see that person and think that they're sick, but we, but they're leaders in the space. And, and then we think, well, if I just follow what they're recommending, I will be like them. But how do you know what they have is health? How do you know that? And I, I would challenge people. And the thing is, what we're sharing is not something that's in quick fix, right? Of we are saying, sorry, you have to do the hard work. You have to figure out what is driving your eating disorder? What is driving you to want to be perfect? What is driving you to want to grab that chocolate bar and then eat five more of them? And that's not fun. It's easier to say, follow me 15 days and you can be a size zero. But the reality is like that doesn't work. And that's why people do diets after diets and jump from one diet to another, from paleo to keto to carnivore to repeat. And then what? Until you find what in your inner self is broken, and we all have something broken, until we find that, it doesn't matter what diet you find or works for a temporary bit, until you find your inner self and what is really hurting you to then maybe have it manifest as an eating disorder, you will never fully heal. And I know that's such a crap thing for me to say, and it sucks, but I want people to heal. And I want, I know just as much as you want people to get to root cause healing. And I know you've healed so much. And that's why honestly, carnivore is starting to get boring to talk about, right? Because you've healed and you want to move on now. It's like, why do I need to talk about what I eat every day when it's become a normal for you? And so that's why it's not a prevalent thing you want to talk about because it's become normalized. And that is the right thing. If you were not an influencer, it would be bye-bye, Laura, yeah. right? You wouldn't be here. Yeah. Honestly. And that's it. I think if we're still obsessing about what we're eating every day, like this is, you know, like year after year after year, like that to me is like, what? that's something wrong with that. Like to me, I just want to live my life and kind of enjoy my life at this point and not have to think about what I'm eating. I had a conversation the other day with somebody who's plant-based and she was like, oh, and she like got her eyes lit up and she was like, hey, uh, i how many hours a day do you spend thinking about what you're going to eat and how you're going to eat and what you're going to eat? And I was like, not that many actually. And she was like, oh, I, cause she thought that we were going to be the same. Like she's eating six times a day. She's meal planning. She has to be careful where she goes. She has to be careful where she's at because if she's going to get food, but I had mentioned like, oh, I bring food with me when I travel, like as an afterthought, like as a backup, just to, so that way it's not an obsession right. for me. Right. And so she was like, Oh, you must be the same. Like you spend all day long thinking and planning about what you're going to eat and what you're going to do. I'm like, actually, I don't like other than the fact that I try to share, but I really don't spend time thinking and worrying about what I'm going to be eating all day long because it's just, it's just what I do now. And I love that. That's what's been great. And it's also why I think that most people aren't living in this extreme strict carnivore world long-term. Like I would say 95% of the people that I have met in real life are not actually strict carnivore long-term. Most people are using it as an elimination diet, as a weight loss tool, not even really as a weight loss tool, right? As a healing tool, but as a, as an elimination diet to understand which foods can are triggering me, which ones can I include, but this like a hundred percent strict carnivore forever. Like there is very few people that I see in the real world that are doing that. And I think sometimes we keep it up longer than maybe we would because we are, we've created this niche space that we now have to like maintain status in. And I think that, um, it's an interesting thought when you're just not seeing people in real life doing that as much. 
most people, again, maybe they're 95% carnivore, but they're still having like, you know, the coffee or they're having a little something else now and again, or pickles or vegetable or something. Um, and I think that's where, if we are living in this obsession of a strict world, like why? And it doesn't mean that you're have you have a disorder because you're living in a hundred percent strict world. I would just say like, why are you living there? Like what's going on for health wise? Like, why are you so concerned about it being perfect? Um, and the intentions behind it. Right. I, I would say that most of my, cl- I mean, there, there's a handful that meet me for weight loss, but that's not the main reason. It's because they're s- sick with something, whether it's autoimmune thyroid hormones. And one of their wishes is always, I would like to end up eating more foods. Like that is always something that's on the table for no one is like, I just want to learn how to do carnivore perfectly and stay here. Right. I mean, there's some people that say I can never go back to vegetables because they don't like me. Right? right. So I get that. But generally, most people would say I want to have that food freedom in the future where as I heal, I can incorporate other things that I know I can tolerate. And that's the general consensus of the community I work with. And I think that's most people. I mean, if you know that there's 300 foods that you can eat as a human being, and if you can tolerate 100 of them, why wouldn't you want to? be able to dabble in the hundred as long as it doesn't mess with your mental and your physical. Right. And I think we're the biggest people to say, you don't need to eat those things from a health perspective. That's not what we're talking about here. But what I'm saying is why aren't you including them? I'm not trying to tell anybody you need to go eat a mushroom or whatever, a pickle or something, but like, why aren't you, I guess is the, is the question. And if it's like, you know, you don't want to include something that has lectins or oxalates every day in your diet, but if you can have zero of them ever, and you're so terrified of having one bite of something that might have those things in it, like that would be my question to you of like, where is that coming from? And just take a step back and look at where, where are your thoughts most days? Where is your mind spending its time? Where is your thoughts? And like, I think it's really important that we are spending our time with family and people that we love and focusing on healing and facing some of our emotional issues and grief head on versus having everything that we're doing be centered around food. And that can be from a dis, you know, disordered with carbs and sugar, or it also could be disordered when you're talking about carnivore. And I think it's really important for people to know kind of where, what are we obsessed with and where are we spending our mental time? And And that's what I like. That's what, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I just want to live my life. Right. And I don't want to talk about food all the time anymore. And that's, what's nice about it is I don't have to, there's, there is so little stress. I know I can figure something out at whatever restaurant I go to because I don't have so much pressure on myself about everything being, um, ideal. And I, I try to take a lot of that pressure off. And I think that's, that's the end result is carnivore an eating disorder. That's up to you. That's up to you and your approach to it. And that's up to how, how are you, you know, you can be very, very strict and not have it be an eating disorder, but you also can't, it also can take over your life and be your obsession and be what is controlling you and your happiness. And then I think that's where it is turning into, to some eating disorder. If it's causing you anxiety to think about, you know, eating in a restaurant and eating only meat or eating somewhere that you don't know where the sourcing of the meat is, or if it's causing you anxiety to not have your macros right for the day. Like, I think we need to, you, it's, I think it's important. Judy and I talked to you, talk to a therapist. Like you need to talk about where are some of these feelings coming from because you might be using carnivore to fuel some, uh, to mask some feelings that you're dealing with from another place. Yeah. And I, I do think, um, 
I, I 100% agree with Laura. The only thing I would say is if you are struggling with a serious autoimmune or food yeah. sensitivity and your anxiety comes from, if I eat that steak at the restaurant and now I have hives or right. I now I'm bedridden, I mean, that's a different story. We're not talking about right? that. And, yeah. But even still with that community, I do think there are some psychosomatic things that are going around, right? People living in their illness that can also exacerbate it with the mindset of I'm genuinely scared to eat this can also affect that too. But that also should be a short-term thing, six months, a year. You shouldn't be having, even if you're dealing with an autoimmune condition that's preventing you from eat those restaurants and that type of, of reaction to foods, like that shouldn't be a forever thing. If you're still dealing with it after six months or however long, you should be looking for a a bigger root cause issue and you likely have something else going on that you need to address. No, that's exactly it. I I think, uh, you know, just to end this conversation, Laura, you said it best is, is carnivore and eating disorder. It really, it really does come down to your mindset, how you look at food, feel about food, how you turn to food. And only you will know that answer, but coming from a place where an eating disorder riddled my life for nearly two decades. I promise you, you can have food freedom and freedom outside of an eating disorder, but you have to put in the hard work. And while it's not fun, it could be freeing for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Thanks guys.